but I don't believe one can lose their eternal life. I know Christians can disagree over that. But regardless of that dispute, there's a lot of other things you can lose, including your confidence in the truth of it. You're listening to Solid Rock Reasons, and here's your host, Ibrahim. Hi, folks. This is Ibrahim, host of Solid Rock Reasons, where we discuss and defend the claim that faith is reasonable. Why? Because believing without seeing is not believing without reasons. Whoever said what you don't know doesn't hurt didn't really know what they were talking about because let's say you're in the wilderness and you're driving up a mountain, but you're about to fall off of a cliff and you don't know it. Well, that story could probably not end well. So this notion that what you don't know doesn't hurt isn't true. (laughs) I mean, it may not hurt, say, for example, if you had inherited a million dollars, but you never knew about it. So it didn't hurt you because you never knew about it. That's that's a different story. But if you're about to drop off of a cliff and you're driving fast, about 100 miles an hour, well, let's say 55 miles an hour, you're following the speed limit. But you you have no way of stopping and you have no idea that you're about to drive off of a cliff. So there are there are instances where it does help when you know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think people say that just to make you feel better. But in certain scenarios, obviously, that's not the case. Solid Rock Reasons exist to help Christians become informed, equipped, and engaged followers of Christ because if you haven't noticed, if you haven't heard the headlines and the various reports and studies, such as the Barna Research Group, the Kinnaman Reports, the uh, Pew Research Forum Reports, many of them claim that Christians are walking away from the faith in droves. Some estimates are as high as 75% of young people, when they go off to college, are no longer walking with Christ at the time they leave college, or maybe even by their first semester in college. Uh, I've heard a quote, I've read it somewhere, that one semester in a college classroom is enough to wipe away, to ruin, to basically erase seven years of discipleship in your home as a young Christian. So uh, these are serious uh, situations that we are finding ourselves in among young Christians. And what can we do to encourage them? Well, we have to help them understand the importance of knowing what they believe, why they believe it, how to articulate it, and how to intellectually defend it. Now, it's not the case that everybody is going to run into questions, that everybody is going to have doubts, that every young Christian is going to uh, be challenged, that their faith will be challenged, whether in class or whether by a professor in office hours or on social media or whatever. But it's always good to be prepared, right? You've heard it said that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, I often say an ounce of preparation is worth a pound of frustration. (laughs) So it's great to be prepared for those situations in the event that they should arise. Soldiers, for example, prepare for battle, not because the battle is necessarily imminent, but because they have to be trained to respond at any given moment. It may very well be the case that the battle is imminent, or it may be that the battle is off a ways. It may be they plan to go to battle in a few weeks, but the battle is not necessarily imminent. But you want to be prepared at all costs for those contingencies that take place. Unfortunately, most people don't prepare for battle until it's too late, until they find themselves in the foxhole of uh, ideas that are undermining Christian belief. And I'm not saying this is this is not an issue of war. We're not talking about war. I'm just using this as a metaphor. A person who is preparing for war, they prepare for contingencies, they prepare for unplanned attacks. Unless somebody's really out to get you, you don't really just think about somebody always out to get you, right? Basically, you live life and you trust that 
life is just going to kind of go uh, through its normal courses of action without uh, little interruption, right? Without much interruption. But in those situations, rare as they may be, when you are challenged, when you're faith is questioned when you have questions of your own and you don't have the responses that you're looking for, then you might want to turn to find answers. Well, guess what? You can always prepare for those contingencies by learning what you believe, why you believe it, how to articulate it, how to defend it. And that means getting into the Word and getting the Word into you. And that means asking questions of your faith, not so much to ruin your faith, but to gain a deeper grasp of the central truth claims of Christianity. So I think every Christian needs to be involved in the endeavor of training and equipping the mind as well as the heart to withhold or withstand, rather, against the challenges that they may face. Because we live in a world that is polarized and has a lot of different ideas and worldviews that are clashing. And people have questions. People have doubts. People have concerns. People are interested, some in uh, religious discussions, others are not. Some people are atheists, some people are theists, and so forth. So you have a lot of different ideas circulating, and uh, when you have that, you're going to run into clashes at times. That doesn't mean that people have to be verbally aggressive or vitriolic or hateful of one another. They can simply be cordial as they uh, have dialogue and conversation. I believe that Christians have a good case that can be made for the reasonableness of Christianity. In fact, many people have endeavored to capitalize on the opportunities to share reasons for faith, many of which are scholars. They serve in as professors in various uh, institutions of education. Others are ministry officials who engage in uh, helping equip people through ministries and various sorts. And others are simply laypersons who have an interest in learning what they believe and how to articulate it. I'm one of those laypersons who has an interest in learning what I believe, why I believe it, and how to articulate it. And one of the reasons is because I'll give you a little bit of background of me on my story. I was a young Christian at a college, and I'm not demonizing all colleges. It's just that in this particular college, I was a young Christian. I was in a classroom with an atheist professor. He was an English professor, of all things, and he was supposed to be teaching me English grammar, but instead he thought it would be a better idea to uh, ridicule belief in God and try to ruin the faith of young believers. So I was about 19 years old in this class, and every day or every class, we had, we had three classes per session and th uh, per week, and this professor would basically crack jokes he would insult Christians, he would insult people who believed in God, as if to suggest that only his opinion was the correct view. And obviously, when you're a young person in such an intimidating environment, you're either likely to withdraw altogether and never mention that you're a Christian, or you're probably likely to become marginalized, discouraged, disillusioned with your faith, to the point where you just say, well, if, if, if this is what Christianity is all about, then I'm, I'm just done with it. But that isn't the case. But when you're in a situation where you're not as mature as a Christian as you could be later on in life, then uh, you're susceptible to those sorts of attacks and sorts of environments that you're thrust into through no fault of your own other than that you decided to go to that class. Well, again, I found myself in that class, and there was this atheist professor. He was very angry, and I think he was a hurt. I think something happened to him where he was hurt because he had such a— um, uh, negative demeanor toward Christianity. He never really mentioned why he felt the way that he did about Christianity, but it was obvious that he wasn't happy with the notion of a Christian God. So he took it out on Christians or anybody who 
maybe resembled a Christian or anybody who just thought they believed in God of some sort. And that wasn't fair to the Christians in the class, nor the ones who were theists of other, of other sorts. Um, he basically took the uh, liberty to ridicule and criticize, and we really couldn't have we really couldn't come back because when you're in a situation like that, you're facing a superior opponent. Also, this person is is someone who is an authority who can affect your grade. So you're already intimidated not to speak up because you don't want your grade to be negatively impacted. But at the same time, you feel like this person is an authority and they have a doctorate of all things. So naturally, they know everything uh, or they at least know what they're talking about when they make these claims. What we find oftentimes, however, is that they don't know what they're talking about. And Christians are just none the wiser. We're just naive. So uh, we swallow what they say whole hog. And as a result, uh, we get choked up on the uh, ridicule and uh, vitriol and rhetoric and we end up walking away, so to speak, or just kind of withdrawing from faith, if you will. I, I was in that class, and I remember just feeling marginalized and embarrassed to the point of just kind of withdrawing like a snail, you know, when you, you pour salt on a snail and it shrivels up. Uh, that's kind of how I felt, uh, like a shriveled up Christian who didn't really have a solid Christian worldview, didn't even know what that word, word meant back then. In fact, when I was 19 years old, I didn't have a good grasp of what it meant to be a Christian anyway. I just kind of thought that Christianity was just this thing you believed, I, 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 you know, or thing you said you were, never really understood that it was a worldview or it was a set of beliefs that you subscribe to as a believer. So when I heard for the first time that anybody believed in God was an idiot or they were, I'm sorry for using that term if you're a young listener, but these are the sorts of uh, antics that this uh, professor engaged in during class and uh, very, very embarrassing, very insulting. Now, fortunately, Christians grow up. Just like babies, you know, you're born into a family and uh, all things equal, babies grow up. Who wants to change diapers for 20 years? Not me. I changed diapers for young babies for a long time, and I had my full share of it. <laughs> In fact, we didn't use uh, regular diapers. We used this, the kind of diapers that you wash and clean and reuse. So you can use your imagination in that. <laughs> Uh, this professor, again, he took liberties, and I was very discouraged, and I kept it to myself. I didn't tell anybody what I was experiencing, how I felt. I just kind of kept these thoughts of, wow, I wish I could respond to these objections to Christianity. But I, not that I would respond to that professor, but just internally, I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could somehow shoot down these arguments in my own mind? I mean, that would make me feel a lot better. To my surprise, I found out some years later that there were good answers to the questions that he raised or the objections he raised, and that there were people out there who engaged in something called Christian apologetics. That is the word apologia, which is a Greek term, apo and logia, which is basically a speech of defense. This is to provide a reasoned justification or a response or a defense for the hope that we have when we are wrongfully accused by this this came from 1 Peter 3:15 which is the most prominent passage uh, regarding apologetics it basically says be ready always to give an answer a reason for the hope that lies within you yet with meekness and respect and this had to do with the fact that Christians were being ridiculed falsely accused and Peter was saying when someone asks you why you have hope in Christ you should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in him 
and then you should also do it with meekness and respect. So that's where the whole enterprise of apologetics came from. To be sure, it has emerged and developed over the years to where we talk about scientific apologetics, biblical apologetics, archaeological apologetics, philosophical apologetics. You know, various branches of apologetics have emerged as a result, or historical apologetics, various branches of apologetics have emerged as a result of responding to the various truth claims that are being challenged from those various disciplines. So it's become more far-reaching than what it was in the first century. Now, I want to share with you from my professor and friend. He is a mentor of mine who trained me in the basics of Christian apologetics at seminary. And I also took some philosophy courses from him. His name is Richard Howe, and I had a chance to speak with him on the question of why does he think apologetics is necessary? And here it is. You know, I like answering this question because of what apologetics did for me in my life. I was saved when I was 16 years old, but I wasn't really equipped from my church or anyone else to be on guard against the challenges to my faith. And when I went off to college, I lost my faith. And I got confused about who who Jesus was in the Bible and these kind of things. And it was apologetics that brought me back into my relationship with the Lord. I don't believe one can lose their eternal life. I know Christians can disagree over that. But regardless of that dispute, there's a lot of other things you can lose, including your confidence in the truth of it. So God brought people like Norman Geisler and Josh McDowell and R.C. Sproul and others into my life. So it reminds me of what happened with Apollos in the book of Acts when the Jewish Christians were being outgunned by the Pharisees, uh, that Apollos came on the scene and he was described as an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, and that he greatly helped those who believe, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. So God has brought people like Apollos in my life, like Geisler and, and Josh McDowell and R.C. Sproul, who greatly helped me. So this is, uh, this is a... Uh, my ministry now has turned into being a ministry almost entirely focused on helping Christians be equipped for their own sake, for their own safety in terms of guarding the integrity of their faith. There is a need for encouraging Christians and equipping Christians so that they can become more engaged in the world. Absolutely. In fact, I think that's probably the first thing that comes to mind with people that are familiar enough with apologetics is the role that it can play in our advancing the cause of Christ. In fact, in earlier literature about apologetics, it was sometimes called pre-evangelism. Jesus in the seeds and the soil parable, when he describes the seed that fell on the rocky ground and the birds of the air came and took it away, he, just, he said, this is those who hear the word of the kingdom and do not understand it. And the evil one comes and snatches out of the heart that which was sown. So apologetics is a way of helping people understand what it is that we're trying to say when we say God exists, Jesus rose from the dead, these kinds of things. Because it's increasingly becoming in our society, you can't even take for granted that someone would know what you mean, even if you said Christianity was true. Because what it even means to be true now is getting so confused and muddled in people's minds. So these kinds of questions uh, are the kinds of questions that apologetics is trying to help unbelievers just understand in the first place. So they can finally be in a position to decide whether or not they want to entrust themselves to Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you. And God bless you and your ministry as well, brother. Thank you so much, Ibrahim. Thank you. Take care. Notice what Professor Howe said. He said he doesn't believe you can lose your salvation, so we've settled that matter. <laughs> At least uh, he's shown that he's making a distinction. Secondly, he talks about the fact that 
it was apologetics that helped answer many of his questions. It helped encourage him at a point when he felt that he had lost confidence in the former truth claims that he believed as a Christian. So what we're talking about here, when we're talking about walking away from the faith, we're talking about losing interest or maybe a commitment to the Christian truth claims that one formerly held to. And uh, we're not necessarily dealing with the issue of backsliding that you hear in, in uh, Baptist churches. Uh, we used to hear that term a lot. We're not talking about that necessarily. Obviously, when one turns away from Christ, backsliding, if you will, is something that one would expect, behaviorally speaking. But we're talking about the intellectual side of things, what one believes. How do, how do we maintain confidence and commitment to those beliefs when they come under attack, when they come under scrutiny, when people ask us questions to which we have no answers? or when people raise uh, outright objections to our core Christian beliefs. Well, it basically means we need to consult others uh, who have gone down that path, who have, who have done research, who have uh, provided uh, materials that allow us to consider whether or not the claims that are being leveled against Christianity are in fact true. Many of the claims you will find out aren't necessarily true. They may be exaggerated. They may have some truth to them. They may be exaggerated. They may be outright lies. And we just need to be able to discern between those, between truth and error. Uh, remember, Paul says to test all things and to hold to that which is good. So we need to be discerning. We need to be aware of what it is we're being exposed to. It's like a baby. You would not expose a baby intentionally to poison, rat poison, right? Because there's a good chance if that baby ingests the poison, then the baby may not survive it. So you want to keep chemicals. In fact, when we were younger, we had to keep the chemicals out of the reach of our twin sisters because they were seven years younger, and they could crawl around and get into the comet or the bleach or whatever. I, in fact, one time I almost killed myself. Uh, I was doing some chores at seven years old, and don't tell my mother. I uh, poured some bleach in the toilet, then I poured some comet in the toilet, and I poured some Mr. Clean ammonia in the toilet. And I said to myself... I'm going to get this toilet really clean, you know, really clean. Mom's really going to be proud of me. And <laughs> you can imagine what happened if you took chemistry, basic chemistry. You don't mix Clorox and ammonia together. That forms a, a noxious gas as well as comet cleanser. Uh, all three of those together form a potent poison. And the fumes themselves almost overtook me. I was in the bathroom when I had poured it in there and Next thing you know, I'm inhaling this stuff. It was in my lungs, and I ran out of the bathroom and basically plopped down on the bed and basically used the cover as a filter to breathe, to, to catch my breath. But if I would have stayed in that bathroom, it would have overtaken me and killed me because I was a poisonous concoction that I put together. So these ideas that you get exposed to oftentimes are poisonous. They're poisonous concoctions used in and of themselves and with moderation they aren't necessarily dangerous. I mean, you still wouldn't ingest bleach or comet or ammonia individually, but you can sanitize surfaces when you dilute bleach with water. Uh, you can use cleanser, comet cleanser, to scrub surfaces clean, such as stainless steel and tile or whatever, or maybe the top of your stove. We were, we were professional cleaners because my mother made us do chores like military. We had one-week kitchen, one-week bathroom, one-week living room, and then uh, weekends, we had baseboards, blinds, and uh, everything else that was detail-oriented. 
So you couldn't get away with it. If you have stepped during the week and didn't do your chores, guess what? It was going to catch up with you on the weekend. So you may as well do it right the first time. And I think Christians, one of the things that we don't do right the first time, through sometimes no fault of our own, is we don't take time to become disciples of Christ. It's one thing to live for Christ. It's another to learn about Christ and live for Christ. And discipleship is a twofold term. It means to be a learner and a follower of Christ. That's why Jesus' earliest followers were considered disciples, because they learned from him and they lived for him. So if you think about what Professor Howe mentioned there, we need to be equipped in areas that will help us be fortified in our faith so that we have a solid foundation for those times when the attacks occur. It's not a question of if the attacks are going to occur. It's a question of when. We're going to talk a lot more about getting into a lot more details, getting into a lot more questions and answers and responses. This is not going to be the Bible Answer Man program like uh, Hank Hanegraaff on Equip.org or the Christian Research Institute. This is not going to be a regular weekly sermon uh, program like John MacArthur, Adrian Rogers, Greg Laurie, Ed Young, uh, Curtis, what is his name? Uh, Stephen Furtick, people like that that you listen to, Joel Osteen. This is not going to be that. In fact, Uh, It's going to be far from that. But my goal is to encourage Christians to become uh, informed, equipped, and engaged in in following Christ from the standpoint of learning what we believe, why we believe it, how to articulate it, and how to defend it. So this is very much uh, an intellectual exercise. Um, My professors put me through a lot of difficult tasks, reading thousands of pages, just so I could pass a course on a particular topic. I learned a lot through the process of going through seminary, being forced to study. So I can understand if you don't feel that it's necessary to study to this degree or to uh, gain a grasp of your faith because this is just kind of like overkill. But I wish I had the overkill when I was younger and being exposed to that professor who tried to poison me with uh, the equivalent of comet bleach and ammonia all put together because I was just a young person who had no idea, no clue, and no recourse to respond either internally or externally to his claims. And uh, what this particular uh, episode is about is to just explain to you why we think it's necessary to engage in this sort of endeavor called apologetics, providing reasons for faith. Why should we defend the reasonableness of the Christian truth claims? It's because there are good reasons for those truth claims. One of the chief proponents of Christianity was the Apostle Paul in the first century, one of the early apostles, uh, early followers of Christ, who said, if Christ has not been risen, our faith is in vain. There are some things that we must believe as Christians. I think Christianity hinges upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Obviously, his existence, obviously his deity, things of the sort, his virgin birth, obviously. But when we talk about the core central truth claim of the Christian faith, it is the fact that Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, and bodily rose again. Now, we won't get into the theology of that yet. We will at some point. We'll talk about why we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk about why Jesus has both human and divine nature, why Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also God in the flesh. You know, all of this kind of stuff, the language we use about Christianity, some of which is confusing until you probe further, and some of which is mysterious. Uh, We can only grasp so much of it. But the point of this show is to help encourage Christians to become informed and equipped. We can basically ignore the problem or we can respond to it. So next week, we're going to start talking about a little bit more about the foundations for uh, why I think we should get engaged in this discussion. Let me read a quote from the back 
cover of a book published in 1967 by Paul Little, the title of which is called Know Why You Believe. It was $1.95 when it was on sale. The book is 152 pages. It's worth picking up for new Christians, or it may be worth picking up for a young believer who may be struggling with questions about faith. Listen to this quote. Don't be afraid to question your faith, says the author of this provocative book. Only by directly facing the most difficult and troubling questions can belief be strengthened. Paul E. Little exposes the Bible and Christian doctrine to hard scrutiny and answers the accusations of critics and the doubts of many intelligent Christians. The result is a fact-filled, highly readable book that will surprise skeptics, reassure believers, and bring fresh understanding to faltering Christians. Now, obviously, the objections and the questions that have emerged in the last several decades are far-reaching and probably far more advanced than what can be offered in this book because it's only 152 pages. It's a very small book. The pages aren't even 8 by 5. So naturally, it would not have covered much of what uh, we are dealing with today through social media, through uh, entertainment, and so forth. But it's great to know that this person wrote this book so long ago. They were dealing with the same things we're dealing with today, and they had to address the questions in their time. Today, the questions are changing. The questions are more rigorous today than they were in the past. That doesn't mean that we can't find good answers to those. And also, sometimes it's just thinking through the questions and seeing whether they really make sense or whether they really stand up under scrutiny. Because just because a person says that Christianity is false doesn't mean that the person claiming that Christianity is false or the idea that claims that Christianity is false, it can also be false. So if that question uh, is not put to scrutiny, we'll never know, right? So if someone says that Christianity was made up out of myths or borrowed from mystery religions, how would we respond to that particular question? Let's think about these sorts of things as we continue forward. Continue to tune into Solid Rock Reasons, where we discuss and defend the claim that faith is reasonable. And remember, believing without seeing is not believing without reasons. This is Ibrahim Enawa for Solid Rock Reasons. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to Solid Rock Reasons. For more information, you can find us on the web at solidrockreasons.com.